where everything we do and every person we meet and every thought we have and every word we say happens in and through and with Him. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name's Luke. I get to serve here as one of the ministers at Plainfield Christian Church. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. We hope to meet you in person soon. Um, If you would, open up your Bibles with me this morning to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. That should be pretty easy to find. It's the very end of the Bible, the last two chapters, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Um, As Kyle mentioned earlier, we're going through this series right now as a church called Still True, where we're talking about the unchanging truths that can change your life. Now, whether you are brand new to the faith and you're just kind of learning these building block truths or whether you maybe learned these things as a kid, we believe that it is still important to kind of revisit these simple foundational truths of what it means to follow Jesus because they have the power to change your life. And so we've talked about how God is good all the time and all the time God is good. We've talked about how sin is bad. We talked about how the Bible is true. And today we're talking about how heaven is forever. Heaven is forever, and, and, and that is a simple truth. It's not hard to understand. My guess is when you think about heaven, you know this, right? That, that if we could represent our life here on earth as this little red piece of the rope, comparatively, our lifespan here is very short, but heaven, on the other hand, is the white piece of the rope. Heaven is very long. It's, it's forever, that like after the first 100 billion years in heaven, we're just gonna be getting started. That's a pretty simple truth to understand. It's pretty elementary. Heaven is forever. So why is it important to be reminded of that truth this morning? And here's why. Because if you forget that heaven is forever. Or even if you remember it in your head, but you forget to live like that's actually true, then what you'll end up doing is you'll end up trying to get out of this life, this little red part, what you're really only meant to get from the white part. And you'll put all the pressure on this little earthly life, this little red part, to give you the things that only heaven and eternity was designed to give you. And and here's what I mean by that. I, I think we know by experience now, you've been alive long enough that you know that our life here on this earth is hardwired for disappointment, isn't it? I mean, way back, even in the very beginning, this was true. When Adam and Eve, the first people God ever made, they were in the garden and everything was perfect. But in Genesis chapter three, they rebelled against God. And ever since then, kind of the whole world's just been under this curse, the Bible says, this curse of of sin and death. And every single person since then has felt the hunger. And I, I think you know the kind of hunger that I'm talking about, that kind of just dissatisfaction, just this disappointment with life, just this nagging sense that all is not well, and, and surely there's gotta be something more, right? We, we, we feel this inside of it, this, this kind of vague kind of disappointment that you can't quite put your finger on it, but you just have this nagging feeling, and so we try to fill that void inside of us, right? All of us do. We, we try to fill that void with, with work and with hobbies and with family and achievement and beauty and sex and relationship and food and cars and money. And yet even when we get everything we want, it still doesn't really satisfy, does it? Now here's what I'm not talking about this morning. Um, I'm not talking about just how life is hard. Um, we, we know that life is hard. We know that life 
hurts a lot of the time when, when you get a bad diagnosis or when your marriage falls apart or, or when the bills stack up or when a relationship grows cold. Like we know that life can hurt and we know the disappointment that can come when things go wrong. That's not necessarily what we're talking about today. What I'm talking about this morning is the disappointment that we feel when things go right. Like that when, when your marriage is in a pretty good season and, and, and your kids are doing well and things at work are really clicking and then the house is nice and the re- retirement account is doing fine and yet somewhere you're still haunted by this nagging feeling that it's just not enough. And the reason is that this whole world is rigged. It's overrated. It tells us to chase what we want and then when we get what we want, it gives us stones for bread. It's because ultimately it wasn't meant to satisfy us. And even even in this life, even our great moments of joy are still kind of tinged with sadness sometimes, aren't they? And, and, And this is not unique to us in 21st century wealthy America. This is the human experience throughout all of time. Back in the Bible, there's a guy by the name of King Solomon and he was the the richest and wisest guy of his day. He had everything he could have possibly ever wanted and yet he wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter one. He said, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. All of them are meaningless, he says. So if that's true, then it begs the question, if everything here is meaningless, what's gonna satisfy that hunger? There's an author by the name of C.S. Lewis who writes this. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. So if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. In other words, in other words, this world, it wasn't meant to satisfy our hunger. It was just meant to whet our appetite. The solution, Solomon, is not to look under the sun, you gotta look a whole lot higher than that. And the good news is I do think Solomon learned that because he wrote a couple chapters later in Ecclesiastes chapter three that God has set eternity in the human heart. God has kind of hardwired us to seek satisfaction. It's almost like that God has planned this sense of discontent into our experience here in this life so that we will not lose our hunger for heaven. So that we won't lose our hunger for him. Because I'd even like to argue this morning that whether or not you know it, your heart is hungry for heaven. I think your heart's hungry for heaven and maybe you don't totally agree with that and that's, that's fine. I think a lot of that is probably due to the perception of heaven that we've been given because think about the movies and the cartoons and things you've seen. Like when you think of heaven, a lot of us think if we just go to this like really kind of foggy, like vague, cloudy place where we walk through these big pearly gates, they kind of give you white robes, some angel wings to strap on and then you go join the heavenly choir, right? And, and you go hop in the heavenly choir and the choir director hands you your songbook and he says, okay, everybody open your songbook to hymn number one. We're gonna sing every song in the book, all four verses, no skipping the third verse. We're gonna sing all the way to the end, and when we get to the end, we're gonna start right back at the beginning. 
And, and, and this perception of heaven that we've been given is that kind of like heaven is this church service just gone really, really long. <laughs> and, and listen, I'm a preacher, but I don't know about you. Like, unless you really like harp music, that doesn't sound like heaven to me, right? Sounds a lot like the other place, honestly. <laughs> Some of you are thinking that right now. Bear with me. Give me 45 minutes. We'll be fine, okay? Um, <laughs> But in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 today, I wanna show you a little bit of what God says heaven is like. And he kind of just walks down through a list of what will be there and what won't be there. But I wanna land on three big things today. The first one is this. Heaven is the paradise you've always wanted. Heaven is the paradise that you have always wanted. John chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 21, verse one, John says this. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So right off the bat, he's kind of challenging our misconceptions, right? He says that heaven is not just a bunch of these like naked baby cherubs floating around on clouds with their bows and arrows, right? He says heaven is actually like, it's physical. It's a new earth. Heaven is the paradise you've always wanted. Over in the next chapter in Revelation 22, John describes what this paradise is like. And notice as we read these verses, notice the echoes here of the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. He says this, verses one and two. He says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So John sees this vision of heaven and he says, hey, it's a new earth, it's, it's paradise. It's like the Garden of Eden restored. God has made the world what it was always meant to be, new heavens, new earth. And notice, God makes this paradise, this new earth, not out of scratch, he makes it out of scraps. God's not just building some brand new place out of nothing like he did at the very beginning. God is remaking and renewing this world to be a new heavens and a new earth, just like he remakes and renews our broken lives. John says in Revelation 21, verse five, he says that he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this conception we have of God taking us away to some far off place in outer space, it's actually not gonna be that. God is bringing heaven here. He's gonna remake this world into what he always meant for it to be. And so when people say, this world is not our home, that's a good sentiment, it really is. And I, I understand what you mean by that, but actually in a way, it kind of is. And that's cool because heaven is coming here to, to be the paradise that we have always wanted. So that means then that the best parts of this world are just a preview of coming attractions. Think think of the best parts of this world. If you've been to the Grand Canyon or you've seen a, a sunset over the ocean, that's just a foretaste of the next world. The next world, the new heavens and the new earth will have everything that attracts us about this earth with none of the things that repel us about this earth. All of the beauty and a thousand times more with nothing that stings or pokes or scratches or burns you. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Man, it'll have have all the the good things. Uh, The Bible mentions animals and rivers and mountains and trees in the new creation, but I'm imagining that there's not gonna be any weeds or mudslide or drought or cancer or tsunamis or tornadoes or pandemics. And that gets me excited. You wanna know why? Because I have a really long bucket list, you guys. <laughs> I do. I, 
I want to go scuba diving, and I want to go skydiving, and, and man, I, I, I want to go to hike the Inca Trail. I want to run with the bulls. I want to hunt for elk. I, I want to get my pilot's license. I want to drive a Ferrari. There's a lot of stuff I want to do, okay? I'm serious. If you got a Ferrari, give me the keys. Um, but I know, realistically, here, I'm never going to cross everything off that list. I'm just not. And that's okay with me because I believe there's a new heavens and a new earth on the way. And not that heaven's gonna be just some projection of my imagination where God gives me everything I want. I actually think it's probably gonna be a lot better than that. And that's good news, new heavens and new earth, because in this earth, I haven't fished enough. And I haven't hiked enough. And I don't have time to study all the things that I wanna study, but I will. And that's pretty cool because as we live in this new heavens and this new earth, the Bible says we're not actually gonna be disembodied spirits just kind of floating around like Casper the friendly ghost. The, the, the Bible says we're actually gonna get new, glorified, resurrected, physical bodies. And that's awesome. That's what happened to Jesus, right? First Corinthians 15, First Corinthians 15 says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. In other words, what happened to Jesus and his resurrected body will happen to us. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he still had a really physical body and he actually still does. And, and he still has the scars of his crucifixion. We see in the Bible after his resurrection, he's, he's walking around and he's eating fish with his friends and he still looks like a human being. There's something real and physical about his body, recognizable. But there's also something different about this new glorified body because they don't recognize him right off the bat. And he like floats through walls and stuff. And, 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 and I don't know exactly what the new resurrected glorified body is gonna be like, but I know we're gonna get one. And that's good news because you know what that means? It means no more hearing aids, no more wheelchairs, no more glasses. Some of you are gonna have hair. I'm not even gonna recognize you. It's gonna be crazy. <laughs> Maybe I could grow a beard. It's gonna be great, you guys, you know? Like no more pacemakers, no more dentures, no more wigs, no more ibuprofen. I don't know exactly what our glorified bodies are gonna be like, but can, I just, can we just imagine together for a minute? Imagine, um, imagine your sense of taste. Um, you can experience thousands of different tastes in this life with just the four different kinds of taste buds that you have. We have four kinds of taste buds, salty, sweet, bitter, and sour that are all located on different parts of our tongue. Now, do you think that after God made those four kinds of taste buds, he just ran out of ideas for any more? I don't think so. Man, what if, what if there's new flavors? What if there's whole levels of the food pyramid we haven't even discovered yet? Uh, what about your, your sense of smell? I'm just now starting to get some smells back from when I had COVID almost two years ago. I haven't been able to smell that whole time. And I'm telling you, as I'm recovering these smells little by little, it's like an epiphany. Like fresh baked bread, man, I forgot about that. And fresh cut grass and wow, the, the rose bush and like my kids' diapers. Like it's kind of a mixed bag, right? But, <laughs> it, but, but it won't be a mixed bag there. Just imagine. Uh, your, your nose has seven different types of smell receptors, and we could smell a lot of different stuff with that. Do you think after God invented those seven different types of smell receptors, that was like all he could think of? No. In fact, science tells us that God has actually already made a better nose than your nose. Uh, science tells us that your dog smells better than you do, and you know what I mean by that. <laughs> um, 
So imagine, imagine in heaven, maybe, maybe new smell receptors, new aromas just exploding that we get to experience. Imagine, imagine your sight. What if we get to see new colors? Imagine hearing. What if we get to hear new kinds of harmonies and melodies that we hadn't ever had the ability to hear before? They, our glorified bodies are gonna be amazing. They're gonna be better than what we can imagine. And you know what the very best part of it is? The Bible says they're gonna be free from sin. Because I don't know if you've had the same experience I have, but... The Apostle Paul had it in, in the book of Romans where he talks about how, yeah, my heart wants to follow Jesus and yet I'm still living in this fallen body that has these bad habits and these sinful habits and I just can't seem to kick them a lot of the time. Like I don't do the things I wanna do and I do the things I don't wanna do and sometimes it feels like my heart and then my actual actions in this body just live in two separate worlds because they kind of do. And, and the Bible says that in our new bodies that we're not gonna experience that anymore. And that's good news because we aren't gonna have to live in these bodies that are trapped living in a fallen and sinful world, trapped by cycles of death and decay. If you, if you paid attention in high school physics class, you might remember Newton's second law of thermodynamics that says over a period of time in an enclosed system, things tend to fall apart. We're living in a world that decays. Grass dries and metal rusts and wood rots and, and, and food gets bad and, and rooms get messy and cars break down and, and, and skin sags and, and bodies grow weary and, and time is not our friend. And my grandpa was a farmer. He's a huge man. He's my, my hero growing up. I'm named after him. I get to wear his wedding ring. And a huge man. He was a Navy vet, World War II. He played catcher. He was a great athlete, big, strong, strapping man in his day. And he loved to go work the fields. But I remember watching as time went on, as his big, strong back got stooped and his hands couldn't lift quite as much and his eyes grew a little weaker and he couldn't work quite as long out in the hot as he could before. But what if in the new creation, when we get resurrected bodies and Maybe there's time and eternity. What if Newton's second law of thermodynamics works backwards and every day gets a little better than the day before? What if fruit gets sweeter and clothes get newer and floors get cleaner? Moms, can I get an amen this morning, right? And what if my grandpa, who's with Jesus, gets to wake up every day and go work the fields he loves and he he feels a little stronger than he did the day before and he can work a little harder and he feels a little younger than he did the day before. I don't know about you, but that's a paradise I'd like to live in. Heaven is the paradise you've always wanted. But here's the second thing John tells us in these chapters. Heaven is also the people you've always wanted. Heaven is the people you've always wanted because right here, John does describe heaven as a paradise, yes, but it's also a city. At Revelation chapter 21, look at what John says. He says, then I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Over and over again in these two chapters, we see heaven as a city. Now, you guys are probably tired of me hearing about it, but I grew up in the country, and so city, the word city, was not like this warm, friendly word in my vocabulary. When I thought of cities, I was like, they're, they're noisy, and, and, and they're gross, and, and, they're, and they're dangerous, and they're dirty. Like, why would heaven be a city? Heaven should be rolling hills and green pastures. Who would want to live in a heavenly city? But imagine with me for a second, imagine a perfect city. There's no 36, there's no traffic on 465, there's no construction on I-70, right? Like imagine a perfect city for a moment with the best restaurants and the best concerts 
and every team had a winning record. Come on, Pacers, right? <laughs> Imagine there's no smog and there's no crime and there's no sirens, there's no courts, there's no hospitals. I don't know what you do for a living, but if you are a lawyer or a politician or a policeman or a nurse or a doctor or a social worker, you would be irrelevant in that perfect city. And so would I, because you won't even need preachers anymore. And that's a city I'd like to live in, right? <laughs> Imagine, but, but, but in the Bible, actually, a city is not just this symbol of like urban culture and, and style and those kinds of things and art. A, a city is a place where people come to live together, right? It, it's symbolic of community, which is why when John describes heaven as a city, he says, heaven is the people you've always wanted. It's this place where nobody's lonely and everybody's wanted, and even those of us who are introverts like enjoy the presence of God's people for all the time, and we're gonna get to be with everyone who's ever followed Jesus throughout the ages. You're gonna get to talk about science with Sir Isaac Newton and Thomas Edison, and you can talk about writing with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, and you can hit baseballs with Stan Musial and Albert Pujols, and, and you can debate theology with Calvin and Luther, and you can marvel at God's beauty with A.W. Tozer, and you can play chess with George Washington and checkers with the Pope. Heaven's gonna be filled with the people of God. Now, there's a lot of questions about what that looks like that I can't answer. I, I, don't, I don't know what families are gonna look like in heaven. I don't know like what age we're going to be in heaven. I don't know, or will we be ageless? I don't know, we'll we be kind of locked into this perfect age. I don't know, like, is it when we're mature? Or is it when we're bo our bodies are good? Because if we're in the terrible twos or like the teenage years, that doesn't sound like heaven to me, right? I don't know, I don't, I don't know. But here's what I do know about the people in heaven. All of our relationships there will be perfect. Revelation 21, verse one, here's how I know that. We read this earlier. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. There was no sea. Now, some of you like going down to Florida and hanging out on the beach, so you might be a little bummed by that, but remember, this is symbolism. John's not saying there's not any beaches in heaven. But all throughout the Bible, the sea is this symbol of chaos. It's something that's uncontrollable. It's also this symbol of separation because a sea was something that separated people groups and, and, and kept us. It was this uncrossable barrier between us and them that if you wanted to connect peoples, you had to cross the sea and you didn't know if you were gonna make it or not. So when John says that in heaven there is no sea, he's saying there's no relational chaos. There's no relational separation. That means there's no racial separation. He says in Revelation chapter seven that he saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. That means there's no racial separation. It means there's no gender separation. There's gonna be no inequality. There's gonna be no economic separation because we're all walking on streets of gold, right? There's plenty to go around. It means there's no more Me Too movement. There's no more Black Lives Matter there's no more blue lives matter. There's no more just be kind signs in the yard. There's no more stories of scandals or abuse. There's no more ideological or political division standing between groups of people because there's no more sea, John says. But you know, in the here and now, in, in this world, even the best of our human relationships are still marred by sin, right? Even my closest relationships with my best friends, with, with my wife whom I love, I, I have no idea what it's like to have a relationship with that person because without sin, because there's still sin in each of our hearts. And even in the best relationships, we still can neglect each other and we can still get jealous of each other and we can still lash out at each other. 
but there, in the new heavens and the new earth, even the deepest relational pain you have ever felt will only be a distant memory bathed by grace. And in this life, there's still an awful lot of days when I look in the mirror and I'm disappointed with what I see. But in that day, I will be the me that God always made me to be. And you will be the you that God made you to be. And we will have the relationship that God has always wanted us to have. A relationship that is free from distraction and bitterness and shame and gossip and pride. A relationship that is full of generosity and love and attention and laughter. And listen, I may be a kid from the country, but that's a city I'd like to live in. How about you? Heaven's gonna be the paradise you've always wanted. Heaven's gonna be the people you've always wanted. But here's the third thing and the most important thing. Heaven is the person you've always wanted. It's the person you've always wanted because the main attraction of heaven is God himself. So the question we have to wrestle with then is, hypothetically, if I could give you heaven, if I could give you the paradise of heaven with every beautiful thing you've ever seen, every wonderful hobby you've ever wanted to try, if I could give you the perfect people that you've always wanted to be with and all of those good friendships, if I could give you a place of no more mourning or sickness or sadness or crying or pain or death, if I could give you heaven but God was not there, would you still be satisfied? Could you be content there? And whether or not you know it, the answer is no. Because God made us for himself. It's like, you, you know this from experience, I think. What makes your home your home? It's not the bricks and the mortar that build your house. It's not your address. It's not your decorations. What makes home home is that it's your people, right? Like this, it's the person that I love. That's what makes this home. And that's what's gonna make heaven home too. It's not the stuff, it's him. God made you for himself and whether or not you know it, you will never be satisfied until you are fully satisfied in him. There's an old book of Christian teaching called the Westminster Catechism that says it like this. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what, that's what heaven's gonna be. We're gonna be glorifying God. We're gonna be enjoying him forever because first and foremost, heaven is life with God. In fact, it's going to be impossible to avoid God in heaven even if you wanted to because it's not like heaven is some big, vast place where you have to go hunt God down and set an appointment with him. Not like you're looking for the Wizard of Oz or something. Like, God is not in heaven. Heaven is in God where everything we do and every person we meet and every thought we have and every word we say happens in and through and for and with him. Heaven is the person you've always wanted. And this is the fulfillment of the whole story of scripture because way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve had that. They were in the paradise. They were with the people they loved. They were with the person they loved. They got to walk with God in the garden. And yet when they chose to rebel against him, they threw all of that away. They lost the paradise. Their relationship with one another was broken. Their relationship with God was broken. And that's our story too. But praise God, he didn't give up. And, and, and God said, I'm not giving up on you. And so over and over and over again, the story of scripture is the story of God trying to get back together with his people. We see this promise over and over. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, God says that God himself will be with them and be their God. Over and over and over and over again, he's saying, someday I'm gonna fix the sin problem. Someday you and I can be together again. Someday. 
And so we see God working to draw near to his people over and over again. He draws near to them through this tent called the tabernacle that holds his presence. So he draws near to them through this building called the temple that holds his presence. He draws near to them by sending his son Jesus to be his presence in the flesh. He draws near to us by sending his Holy Spirit to live within us. And yet all of these things are just partial fulfillments of that promise. But in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the promise is finally fulfilled. And we do get to be with him forever. And that's good news because John, he does describe heaven as a paradise. And yes, he does describe heaven as a city. But John also describes heaven here as a temple. Take a look. He says in Revelation 21 verse 22, he says, I did not see a temple in the city. In other words, you don't have to like go someplace to try to find God. He gives us a clue though. He records the dimensions of the city in verse 16. says, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. In other words, this heavenly city is a perfect cube. And that may not mean anything to you, but if you were a Jew in the first century reading this, you would know, oh, there's only one other perfect cube described in the Bible. It's the Holy of Holies inside Israel's temper, the innermost room where the presence of God dwelt most intensely on the earth, and it was a perfect cube. And if you wanted to go encounter God, the Holy of Holies is where he was, but only the high priest could go in there. And even he could only go in there once a year. God was hard to get to back then because the sin problem hadn't been fixed. But now, John says, in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, in that day, the sin problem is done away with and the whole place is a perfect cube. The whole place is the holy of holies. All of us are gonna get to be in God's presence forever. And so the promise has finally come true, he says in verses three and four. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And for all of eternity, the ache of your heart, that splinter in your soul, that deep existential hunger that you feel for something more, it will be instantly satisfied the moment you see his face. You know, I wanna spend my whole life helping you know God. And yet, I've never really known him. I mean, yeah, yeah, I've known of him. I've had some experiences with him, but but real up close and personal, I've I've never known him. It's like I I know of Boston. I can tell you some of the historical things that happened in Boston. I've watched the... Boston Red Sox and the Boston Celtics play. I've rooted against Tom Brady an awful lot of times. <laughs> I've heard Boston's pretty in the fall, but, but I've, never, I've never been to Boston. But if you wanna know about Joplin, Missouri, I can tell you about Joplin. I can tell you what it sounds like with Turkey Creek rippling over the rocks, that creek that runs through the middle of town. I can, I can tell you what Carlos's Costa Rican donuts taste like on his little shop on Main Street, best donut you've ever had in your life. I can tell you um, what it feels like in Joplin on a hot, humid July night when the frogs are croaking and the stars are out. I can tell you what it smells like when a tornado's on the way. Because if you want to know about Joplin, I can tell you about that because Joplin's my home. And, and, and you and I someday, we're going to get to know God at that level. That, that here in this life, we, we, get, we get just a taste 
But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I've never seen God, but I will. And I've never heard God's voice, but I will. And I've never touched him. I've never embraced him, but I will. And so can you. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, heaven is the person that you have always wanted. So what about in the meantime, right? (laughs) What about while we're still right here? That sure, yeah, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we're still living in this life where we spend our days wading through these cycles of sin and death where, where children are still going hungry and wars still happen and relationships still break and I'm still disappointed with who I've become. What, what about here? C.S. Lewis, again, he says it like this. He says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. So what about now? We, we just keep doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. We just keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. We just keep pressing on and being faithful until he returns. We keep praying what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And by the way, did you notice who won't be in heaven? Chapter 21 again, verse eight, John says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And verse 27, he says about heaven that nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. John's saying there will be no sinners in heaven. Ouch. (laughs) Because if that's true, how can you and I possibly hope to get there? This right here. If you've got your communion when you got in, would would you take it out? We do this every week where we receive this little piece of bread to remind us of Jesus's body that was nailed to that cross. The Bible says to, to bring us home to God. And we receive this little bit of Welch's grape juice here that with it we celebrate the blood of Jesus that poured from his hands and his feet as he was nailed from the cross, that poured from his back that was shredded by the whip, that poured from his head as they jammed the crown of thorns on him, it poured from his side as he was pierced with the spear so that we could be washed clean in the sight of God. Jesus is the one who makes us pure. And Jesus is the one who brings us back to that paradise that we have always wanted who brings us together with the people we've always wanted. By the way, these are the people you're gonna be in heaven with. (laughs) Who brings us back to the God who loved us first, forever. And the good news is that this is still true today. Whether you had a good week or a bad week, whether you're feeling close with Jesus or farther away than you've ever felt today. His love for you, his death for you, his resurrection and his promised return are still true. So I'm gonna give you a moment 
to take this little piece of bread and to thank him for what he's done for you. And then we'll pray and we'll take the juice together. 